ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who don't identify as either. You are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. We're back. I missed you. I missed you so much during the hiatus. I'll be honest. I was really happy to take the time off. I had a whole list of things that I wanted to accomplish. I got a good chunk of it done. So thank you very much for bearing with me. There's also a huge chunk of it that I didn't get done. I saw a lot of folks be like, oh, you went on hiatus because you wanted to like write for magazines again. And I was like, no, that, that wasn't even in my head. I announced I was going on hiatus and a bunch of editors were like, oh, you got downtime. You want to write real quick? I only took the stories that were too good to say no to. I wanted to travel. I've been trying to go to Palm Springs for months now. Every weekend I wake up and I'm like, I'm going to go to Palm Springs. I'm just, I'm going to go shopping at the outlets and then I'm going to go get something to eat. And I just be having these grand plans. And then like, I never go. But I was like, oh, on the hiatus, like I'm going to go in the middle of the week and I'm going to have so much fun. And then I was like, I have all these deadlines. Like I can't do anything. I would drive out and it'd be like a really nice hotel and never be able to leave my room and not go explore. Or I would go do that. And then I wouldn't be able to, you know, meet all my deadlines, which I took an extra week and still didn't meet all my deadlines. Like, that's how much freaking work I have to do. But I'm back for now. I'll be around for a bit. What else happened during the hiatus? Oh, I guess last night still counts. I had totally forgot about the Jodeci New Edition tour. It was a really good concert. All of Jodeci performed, not just Casey and JoJo, like all four of them performed. They sounded good. Casey's voice is still in prime condition, as is JoJo. Like, I was very pleased. Charlie Wilson sounded amazing. I'm not the biggest Charlie Wilson fan. Like, that's just a little, like, you know, older for me. But nothing against Mr. Wilson. Like, he put on a great show, high energy. He did really, really good. He had more energy, I say this, than some members of New Edition. New Edition overall was really good. Like, I was so hyped to be at the concert. I posted a bunch of videos in my stories on Instagram. If you want to see them, I'll make a little highlight on my page. They were good. New Edition was good. I did not realize the level of New Edition fandom that I had until the house lights went dark and then New Edition came on. And I was like, oh, like I was so shocked that I couldn't even react. Like, I didn't scream, nothing happened. Like, I turned into, I don't know, maybe like a 10-year-old, 9-year-old girl. My babysitters when I was growing up were these three sisters, Crystal, Nikki, and Alicia, and you would always say their names in that exact order. Crystal was the youngest, Nikki was the middle, Alicia was the oldest. They loved New Edition. We'd be in the basement, and they would be doing the routine. What's the one that Beyonce redid? The one where they're in the warehouse, they would do that routine in the basement. And the basement wasn't but so big. I mean, it was big, but they had like a pool table. That's not the point. The point is, I was taken back to that moment of being like a kid, being with my teenage babysitters while they were dancing to New Edition. And that's how I got introduced to New Edition and fell in love with New Edition. I was transported back to that moment in the whole concert. I didn't realize I knew the words to like every single song. I've never in my life sat in my house and like played New Edition. I played Bobby Brown. I played that Don't Be Cruel album without skipping anything, but never New Edition. But I was like, oh my God, I know all the words to New Edition. That's crazy to me. Speaking of Bobby Brown, 
I ain't got nothing negative to say about Bobby Brown. I think Bobby Brown has had an incredibly hard life. Some things happened to him. Some things were forced error. Neither here nor there. I'm worried about Bobby. I'm worried about Bobby. And I'll tell you why. I didn't post the full video of his performance. He did uh, Rock With You. And he could barely move. I mean, he literally like shuffled up to the microphone and then he tried to do like a little like bop and then he couldn't even do that. His voice is not bad, but it's not what it was. And some of that you could say is, you know, attributed to age. But then like Charlie Wilson had just gone off and Charlie Wilson sounded great. And he had more energy than Bobby. And Charlie Wilson has also had some history with drugs. Um, Bobby, as we know, has had some history with drugs. And, and, and my thoughts here are not really a critique. They're more observation. Bobby Brown moves like Muhammad Ali did in his later years. I don't remember the condition that he had. Was it Parkinson's? Or limited his mobility, limited his speech. And it was always like this contrast, you know, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, all this energy, all this loud mouth, all this wit, all this personality. And towards the end of his life, that was all gone. And the thinking was he probably didn't retire when he should have. He took more punches than he should have. And so it took his toll on him. And so when I'm watching Bobby Brown struggle to get through rock with you, I'm thinking of him in all the old performance footage where he's just, you know, he's very young at the time. I mean, I think, don't be cruel, Bobby, I don't even know if he was 21 yet. So he's very young, you know, has all this energy. If you think about Bobby dancing in the every little step you take video, like he just can't be still. He's in constant motion. And then to see him all these years later, my thinking was hard living catches up with you. You might be able to ride it through in your 20s. You might be able to eke it out in your 30s. It really starts to catch up with you in your early 40s. But if you don't, I think self-correct, the wear and tear, 50 years, the wear and tear of your life starts to show up on you. Some folks look like they've they've driven life on city miles. I was looking at other members of the group, and they're all about the same age. But I was thinking about particularly Ronnie. Ronnie's in excellent condition. Like, I honestly think that he probably could have done the whole BBD routine start to finish and would have been fine. For BBD, they brought out maybe like about six girls who were in their 20s and they had on spandex and they're dancing to whatever BBD song that was. Backstage, underage, which of all the lyrics to choose, that would be the one that pops in my head. Probably because of how fucked up it is. They sang it last night. That's why I thought about it. And I was like, y'all really still singing that lyric in this Me Too environment? Y'all scraped by on that one for years without getting called out. Like, stop. Quiet. I think Ronnie probably could have done the whole routine. Like, he was agile. He looks great. He looks like he's been drinking his water, doing his exercises, and enjoying his vegetables. It starts to show up after a while. I don't know if he was ever really a big singer. I can't really comment on his voice. But he looks healthy. I'll tell you this much, though. I got up this morning. And partially because I want to have Ronnie's agility in like 10 years, not Bobby's. I was like, let me get my ass up and go to the gym. Let me go do some cardio. Let me drink some water. I had nothing but water all day. For dinner, I made some salmon with Brussels sprouts and mushrooms. Added some avocado. I had a little bit of rice, but I mean like literally like half a cup. I kind of feel like at 42, pushing 43 for real, I'm at like a make or break point in terms of how my health shows up physically for me. 
I was like, let me, let me go get my shit together. I'm getting my professional shit together. I was like, let me go get some other shit together too. But it was a really good concert. I'm still thinking about going to D.C. to catch another show. It did start on time. I was like, ain't no way in hell a show with Jodeci, Charlie Wilson, and New Edition is starting on time. But it did. And I missed the first part of Jodeci. I was 38 hot about that because that's really why I bought the tickets. But I was like, you know what? I think I might go to D.C. and see the show again because that's how good it was. And then also see it with, like, you know, my East Coast black people. Might go eat a crab cake beforehand. If I time it right, I can see Jodeci, Charlie Wilson, and New Edition the same week or weekend that Maxwell, Joe, and Anthony Hamilton would be in town. That would be amazing. Or I could just sit my ass right here and just wait for Maxwell and Joe and Anthony Hamilton to come to L.A. I think they're going to be here on like the 15th. I think I may have to go to that show. We'll see. What else is going on? There's so much. There is a long list of shit that's going on. I saw some people talking about, they were like, oh, the new episode of the podcast. It's going to have to be like five hours to cover everything. So let me inform you how I'm not recapping all the shit that happened while I was on hiatus. There's no proper way for me to do it. No. Y'all know what happened. Y'all lived it just like me. We just not going to have commentary on that. I'm sorry. Um, I will mention the war that broke out. Which I was like, wait, what? Which wasn't because I wasn't paying attention. I read this story about basketball players. And this was not a story about Brittany Griner. I'll talk about her in a second. This was a larger story. I think it was on Yahoo News about American basketball players who were playing in Ukraine. And apparently it's a bunch of them over there. And the big question was, you knew a war was coming, right? Like, why didn't you get your black ass home? And they were like, well, first, let me stop you. We didn't know a war was coming. I want to say like war broke out on Tuesday. And they were like, as of Sunday, the president was like, everything's good. Go about your lives. Russia does this shit all the time. We're not going to war. One of the guys they interviewed, he said he asked the owner of the team. Hey, so, you know, just as a contingency plan, what's in place if war breaks out? And he was like, well, one, it's not going to happen because, again, Russia does this shit all the time. And two, if something happens, we'll get you home. Don't worry about it. You'll be good. And he was like, well, all right. He was like, everybody keeps saying, you know, Russia does this crazy shit all the time. War is not going to happen. And he was like, then motherfucking war happened. So they were trying to get him home. I hope he got home. It was a few athletes over there, but the, I guess the biggest one, and she's not in Ukraine, she's in Russia. She's a seven-time WNBA All-Star. She is 31 years old, and you would probably hear like WNBA, and you'd be like, well, why is she over there in Russia when she plays for the NBA? She ain't making no money? Yes and no. Relative. She ain't making like LeBron money. She ain't making like any of the money that the least paid Laker is making. I want to say they say her salary was like 230000 Nobody in the NBA is playing for that shit. All-star or benched. And if I recall, at one point, I haven't looked this up in a minute, the lowest NBA salary was something like 800000 Like that's the least you could possibly play an NBA player. This woman, again, Seven-time WNBA All-Star. So she was over in Russia, which she's been doing for several years. She was over in Russia playing. I think I read that that Russia was paying her like a million USD or something close to that. 
So I was like, oh, I'd have my black ass over there too. Okay, so here's where she got fucked up at. The Russian Federal Customs Service says they found cannabis oil in her luggage. She has been detained, honestly, for a length of time people are not really sure of. So the story broke in early March and she'd been detained for like three weeks then. So I'm reading this story on CNN right now. It says she was arrested on February 17th. So that tracks. The most recent story is they're extending her arrest until May 19th. I don't really know what that means. Does that mean May 19th she can come home? Or does that mean like May 19th she goes to trial? I'm not sure. I've seen a lot of people talk about her and they say she's the best player in the in the WNBA. She's like LeBron. If LeBron James was detained, jailed somewhere in Russia, there would be a wide outcry from Americans to get LeBron James home. And they're saying that for Brittany Griner, because she's black and because she's a woman and because she's not as famous, that America is not making enough of a big deal about her, which is fair. I've seen those comments, but I've also seen news about her detention everywhere. But I don't know if it's because there were so many people at one point saying, why isn't anyone talking about this? And everyone was like, oh, yeah, we look a little racist not to be talking about like the black woman who's been detained. We might want to speak up. I see it everywhere now. And again, I'm reading this on CNN. So she is getting proper media attention. There is a question, though, is she getting proper government attention Let's look this up. This is on Yahoo Sports. It says one day after Russia revealed that it had detained seven-time WNBA All-Star Brittany Griner on drug charges, the U.S. Secretary of State responded. Anthony Blinken. I have never heard this name before in my life. He said he was reluctant to comment specifically on Griner citing, quote, privacy considerations. He told reporters, quote, whenever an American is detained anywhere in the world, we, of course, stand ready to provide every possible assistance. And that includes Russia. Let's see. There's a couple other updates. This one's specifically from Biden. This is on Hip Hop Wired. It says Joe Biden turns attention to Brittany Griner Russia case. While it's assumed that President Joe Biden would put the player's situation on the back burner, administration officials alerted members of Congress that they're working on the matter. Sheila Jackson Lee, she black, says White House officials told members of the Congressional Black Caucus that they're actively looking to address Griner's harrowing situation in Russia. This is from March 11th. I can't find an update since then. I guess the update is she's still sitting in jail. I don't know how this one plays out. I mean, I want to be like, sis, what were you doing carrying hashish or cannabis oil or whatever you had in your bag that is an illegal substance in Russia? Honey, why are you high posting so far from home? That's some shit I would like to say in an interview when she's back on American soil. Just get her ass home first. Just get her ass home. We'll worry about the the why and all that other stuff later. Were your parents like that when you were coming up? Like you would go get yourself in some trouble and they would like, you know, get you out of the trouble 
And then you're just like, whoo, glad I'm safe. And then they would curse you out. Now that you're not in like, you know, the crosshairs of death anymore. Now I can properly curse you out for worrying my ass half to death. And what the fuck were you thinking? Is that just me? But yeah, I want, I want them to get sis home. It's a very tenuous situation. Nobody wants to barter with Russia. You don't want to pull back on sanctions. You don't want to have to talk to these people nice because they over there doing crazy shit, invading Ukraine. But you want the woman home. I'm like, sis, you, you're in a precarious position. I hope they're treating her well. I did read that she was meeting with lawyers on a regular basis. I think they're Russian lawyers, though. I don't think that they're like American lawyers who have been, you know, sent to help her. I just, I hope they're not beating her ass. I hope they're feeding her halfway decent. I just, I don't know. Get sis home and we'll deal with, you know, what was going through sis's mind on the back end. Just get sis home. I feel really bad for her. Really bad for her family, her wife. Especially, she got to be going fucking crazy. Yeah. Ukraine. Um, I don't really understand much of what this war is about. I'll be quite honest with you. I haven't been paying that much attention to it. The, this, the bit of attention I was paying on some like, poor Ukraine, that's so fucked up. Like big Russia is coming, just like invaded their country and now they're bombing shit, which is really weird in like the social media era. It's one thing to watch stuff happen on CNN, MSNBC. There's a, a disconnect, I think, of seeing harrowing images on the news or seeing destruction of cities, war on the news. It still feels like far away. It's very different to see it on like people's Instagram stories and on Twitter. It's just, it's more personal. I see concert footage. I see you playing with your dogs. Oh my God, your building's being bombed. Like, what the fuck? So Russia attacks Ukraine and Ukraine, people flee because war, bad, destruction, death. Some of the people who are trying to flee are black folks, African black folks. A lot of uh, African students, which I was like, Africa be everywhere, don't they? I know theoretically there's black people everywhere, right? Like literally. But I was like, it's a bunch of y'all in Ukraine? Sure. Okay. But the black students were trying to get out and got to the border and government officials weren't letting them leave. I think you had, you had to get to some meeting point and then take trains to get across the border. And it's really cold in Ukraine right now. I want to say... What I was reading, it was like three degrees. And I was like, oh, that's like that New York, Michigan shit. I don't miss that. But the African students were all, you know, bundled up and they got to the border by hook or by crook. And they got there and they were like, no, no, Ukraine citizens go out first, i.e. white people. Y'all can stay here and freeze, figure it out. It's appalling. It's appalling. It's the middle of war. Y'all got time to be racist in the middle of war? Really? So a lot of black people felt like bad about like Russia and Ukraine because the narrative is big, bad, mean Russia, small but feisty Ukraine being attacked. And it's so terrible, which it is. What happened at the border is fucked up. But a lot of people stopped caring about Ukraine because of the situation with the African students, which on the surface I get because that is some horrid shit. I try to think of it, though. Is it possible that the vast majority of citizens in Ukraine might also think that's fucked up. And this is why I say that. This is why I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. Because remember, in America, at the border, there were incidents 
Plural. In America, someone thought it would be a good idea to get on horseback to corral Haitians who had gathered at the U.S. border. I don't know how the Haitians got there. Haiti is an island. It's over there. Somehow they got to a border of America. Okay. Someone thought it would be a good idea to get on horseback and corral the Haitian citizens with a horse whip. It gave real like overseer plantation vibes. Someone took pictures of this. This is something that happened in America. The vast majority of Americans were like, what the fuck? I wouldn't say the vast majority. I say half because half the country is batshit. The other half of the country can be reasoned with. The half of the country that can be reasoned with was like, what the fuck? This is insane. Another example. In America, during the Trump administration, children, Mexican children, were sleeping in cages. The children had been separated from their parents. Some of the children were sent to random places in the United States, separated not just in a separate facility from their parents, but sent to separate states from their parents. And some of those children are missing. They can't find them to reunite them with their families. They lost people's children. This is not something that I would say the vast majority of Americans agreed with. Children in cages, separating children from their families. And yet it was done. I think there's a distinction to be made between the shit that rogue people do when no one's watching, shit the American government condones, and then shit that the American people condone. I think those are three separate things. They all could be aligned, but they also could be very separate. I think it's worth for Ukraine to be like, there's some people at the border doing crazy shit because no one's watching. There's people in government who may or may not condone this shit. We don't really know because they kind of occupied with the whole war at this moment. And there might be citizens who are just like, what the fuck? But they, you know, are in bomb shelters. So they can't really like speak out and protest it at the moment. I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. I know how white folks in America be. I don't know how white folks in Ukraine be. I ain't never been. And I also want to say this. I think it's possible to think, What Russia is doing to Ukraine is wrong. And to also think the way Ukraine as a government, as a body of people, as people at the border who are representatives of the government, the way they treated the African students, you can say that that's wrong. And you can say that the war against Ukraine is wrong. It's not like, oh, well, because of how they treated African students, then they also deserve to be invaded. No, both can be true and both can be fucked up. It's possible. Do I want to say anything else about Ukraine? Oh, one more thing. There was a little boy. I don't think his name is that important. He was like seven or eight. He was with his mother and grandmother in Ukraine when it was attacked by Russia. His grandmother had some health issues. She wasn't able to leave. The mother, for obvious reasons, didn't want to leave her mother. So she puts her kid on a train and sends him to freedom, safety. I think she wrote her phone number on the kid's arm or hand or something like that and was like, get on this train and don't get off, ask for help, whatever. So this little boy, it's a beautiful child, travels like a thousand miles 
makes it to safety, reunited, all these pictures everywhere. Oh, this little boy, so brave, so brave, so beautiful, beautiful boy, safe, safe, family, family. This is the narrative that the Western media, American media is taking towards this situation. And I was like, where, where are these stories of compassion, of the bravery of small children who've traveled these distances to get to safety and, and mothers making these heartbreaking decisions to send their children and sacrificing themselves and, and all of that? Where are these conversations about, you know, the Mexicans at the border, little brown kids? who walk a thousand miles trying to get to safety, trying to get a better life, being sent off by their parents. Like, where's the compassion in those stories? Where's the humanity in those stories? And the beautifully shot photos of chubby cheek, wide-eyed Mexican kids and make them look like super sweet and gorgeous and, and angelic. Mexican kids, cute as shit too. Where's this narrative about Mexican kids and Mexican families and a mother's love and sacrifice, adventure and heroism? Where's that? Y'all got all this love for this little white boy. And I'm glad the little white boy made it safely. I just want that love and compassion for brown and black people. Y'all don't be having love like that for Cubans. Where's the story about cute little Cuban kids? They traveled so far. Parents died, almost drowned. Miracle that they made it. They be like, what the fuck you doing here? Haitian kids. They pulled out whips on them people. Where's the story about a cute little Haitian kid? Big eyes with chubby cheeks wrapped in a blanket. Looking beautiful and angelic. Where are those pictures? Where are those narratives? Is that just reserved for white folks? I mean, it is. But could you just say that? So much blatant praise for the little white child. So much contempt. Disgust. For brown and black kids. Kids, man. Kids. Kids. Fuck them kids. Except that little Ukraine boy. He's heroic. Oh, the Supreme Court. We need to talk about the Supreme Court. Today is the first day. What is it called? Not meetings. What are they called? Supreme Court hearings. Hearings. So today was the first day of Supreme Court hearings for potential justice. Supreme Court nominee Katanji. I had to look it up because I know y'all was going to be like, oh, she not. She's going to butcher that shit. I looked up the name. You should be proud of me. Katanji Brown Jackson, which is probably like the blackest name I've ever heard. Brown and Jackson together at once. That's a lot of blackness in one name. Okay. Katanji Brown Jackson. I think last time we spoke, Biden had said while he was on the campaign trail, when it looked like RBG was going to step down, he said that he would appoint a black woman to the Supreme Court because in over 200 years... And 115 Supreme Court justices, there has never been a black woman on the Supreme Court, which sounds crazy when you think about it. But it's America, so it's not that fucking crazy. It's really just American. Okay, so today was the first round of hearings. I did not watch them, but I did read a review on the Washington Post. They said the GOP acted an ass, which, you know, I completely expected. But they also said this about Jackson, which I thought was like, wow, which I thought, which I read it and was like, wow. It said, quote, she is so manifestly qualified, so perfectly embodies the American dream and is so beautiful with superior judicial temperament that it is obvious why Republicans are struggling. They just can't seem to find a way to knock down a super qualified, charming, humble and brilliant black woman. It seems it does not occur to them that they should stop looking for the limelight 
ask short and reasonable questions, and then vote to confirm on her qualifications. And that tells you everything you need to know about the decline of both the Senate and the Supreme Court. We did not get a chance to talk about this because this specific woman, I knew it was going to be a black woman because Biden had promised. We just talked about that. But before I went on hiatus, we did not know it was going to be this black woman. So as expected, there's been a bunch of bullshit about her nomination. And if you've seen her resume, it's very confusing. It's like they found kind of like with Barack Obama, like you went and found like the most qualified person in existence to be president. You know, with black folks, it's always like you got to be twice as good to get half as much. Like President Obama is probably like one of the most educated presidents we've ever had. In the case of Brown Jackson, I had to go look up her credentials. And the reason I did so is because Fox News, when Biden nominates Brown Jackson, Tucker Carlson, he goes on this rant about her LSAT scores. And people did go and look it up and they were like, well, you know, for any of the white people that were nominated under Trump, I think there were two or three of them. Did he ever ask for their LSAT scores? You know the answer to that. Brown Jackson, like like I was just bringing up with Obama, is probably the most qualified person in the United States to sit on the Supreme Court. I saw many articles and charticles and lists and graphics that were like, she alone has more experience than three or four Supreme Court justices combined. This is the most qualified person for the Supreme Court in like human history. And she happens to be a black woman, which is, you know, how it works for black people. You have to be like the most qualified person ever just to be considered. Her qualifications include she went to Harvard Law School. She served as supervising editor for the Harvard Law Review. She clerked for three judges spent 15 years as a public defender, eight years as a trial court judge in the U.S. District Court in D.C., and was vice chair of the U.S. Sentencing Commission. That's not even everything. But you want to see her LSAT scores? For what? Say her LSAT scores were shit. If she was good enough to graduate from Harvard and to be a supervising editor for the Harvard Law Review, what fucking difference does it make what her LSAT scores were? This woman has been a practicing lawyer or judge in some capacity for the better part of 30 years. What fucking difference would her LSAT scores make? It's just racist. Like you literally can't find anything else with the woman's resume. So you want to go try to find something that's not on the woman's resume. It's like Trump in that birther shit. He's just too fucking qualified. He can't possibly be fucking American. Where's his birth certificate? Oh, he's a Muslim. White people, I swear. Decent white people, get your people. Get your people, because we can't do nothing with this. I don't know why I waste my time thinking about Tucker Carlson, but it's because he represents a mindset of so many people. He was the one who was vocal about it, but there was tons of people who were like, well, why does Biden have to like, you know, nominate a black woman? Why does it have to be about race? You don't think it's fucked up that there was never a black woman? Like, are we going to pretend that like never nary ever a black woman was qualified? Was it there were black women who weren't qualified or there were never black women who were given a chance? You can't tell me that the only people who are actually qualified for this position, with the exception of what, like five were white men. I read this really great article and I wish I could remember where it was. I read it at the time and I was on hiatus. And so I wasn't even thinking about doing the podcast. It was about one of the functions of racism and how it works is that 
the example was the Supreme Court. It's like you only put white men on the Supreme Court. And so everyone starts to think that only white men are qualified for the Supreme Court. So then it starts to look weird or wrong, perhaps is the better word, to put somebody in the Supreme Court that's different from who's always been there. It's like this self-fulfilling, fucked up and racist philosophy. I've only seen you there because I've only put you there, but I've only seen you there because I've only put you there because I've only seen you there because I've only put you there. And it just goes on this like unending cycle. And so when someone steps in and tries to break it, why should she be considered just because she's black and she's a woman? Like it's affirmative action. It's, it's reverse racism. No, it's correcting a fucking wrong. A very small step at that. They once asked Ruth Bader Ginsburg and they said, well, how many women do you feel like need to be on the Supreme Court? I think it was like two of them at the time. And she was like nine. I feel like there should be nine. And they were like nine, nine women. And they were like, nobody ever said anything when it was nine men. You put one woman there and it's like, oh my God, a woman, she's taking a spot from a man. So many men had been there. No one ever questioned why it was nothing but white men. You try to deviate from it. And again, it's like, well, there's only been white men there. So it's only supposed to be for white men. No, that's not how it works. I mean, that is how it works, but that's not how it should be working. Shit. I hope Brown Jackson does get confirmed. I have very much wanted to see a black woman on the Supreme Court. But now we have a new opportunity. In fact, we might fuck around and have two. I don't expect that Biden will put two more black women. But Clarence Thomas, I believe, is still hospitalized. I have thoughts on that, but I've seen other people express about similar thoughts and they've been censured and I don't want to deal with that shit. Clarence Thomas is in the hospital and and that's just the fact of the matter. He's in the hospital. He has an infection of some sort. It's not COVID. I also read that Justice Breyer, is that his name? Is it Breyer? Is retiring. So that's a definite second opening for the Supreme Court. So I'd be interested to see who ends up there. And then, you know, Justice Thomas, well, let's, you know, let's see, uh, you know, how nature takes its course. So there's one more book and a possible for the Supreme Court right now, which is very good. It needs some balance. Last but not least, there's so much more we could talk about, but I want to talk about Kanye West. Only because there's recent relevancy, Kanye West has been acting a whole plum public fool for the better part of, of months now, for the entire hiatus for sure. Only recently has there been any real backlash to him. I think it's worth noting, I've talked about this a couple times. I don't know if I talked about it on the podcast, but I've definitely said it on all my platforms on social media that what Kanye West is doing to his now ex-wife He did it while she was his estranged wife. She only very recently became his ex-wife. He's been publicly harassing her. And I called shenanigans when he moved across the street from her. I think before I went on hiatus, he made at least one mention in a song about wanting to like beat uh, Pete Davidson. That's, uh, That's Kim Kardashian's new boyfriend. He said something about wanting to beat Pete Davidson's ass. While I was on hiatus, he made a several series of Instagram posts. One of those posts included a claymation video that showed Pete being decapitated. I think by Kanye. I only watched it once. It was like, what the fuck is this? But he's made many references to Pete. At one point, Kanye posted a, yay, I'm sorry. I don't like the man, but I want to be respectful of his name. 
he posted a screenshot of Kim asking him to stop telling people to harass her her boyfriend. Kim had hit him up and was like, you're inciting violence against him and someone's going to get hurt. Can you stop? And also, can you stop posting my text? And he was like, no, because he posted that shit too. Um, he was like, we're public figures, so we're going to live in public. And I was like, yo, this this is some OJ Nicole type shit. And people were like, no, that's mean to say. Like, Kanye's never shown any kinds of, like, you know, abuse or violence. And I'm like, no, he's abusing her now. People have this idea that abuse is only, like, if I punch you in your fucking face when you're sitting there reading the Bible, that counts as abuse and, and nothing else. If you're in an argument and you get punched in the face, then it's like, well, what did you say to him to provoke him? What? What Kanye did to his estranged, estranged wife and what he's continued to do to his ex-wife is fucking insane. And it's harassment and it's abusive. Men very rarely call other men out. And that's sort of my testament of, of how bad this situation is, is that other men have been speaking up and speaking very publicly to say that Kanye is wrong. One of those men was D.L. Hughley. He was actually one of the first like public men to speak up and be like, yo, leave this woman alone. Like what you're doing isn't right. And people pointed out to D.L. Hughley and they were like, sir, you got a whole lot of nerve speaking about somebody else's situation. And I wasn't even familiar with it until they started calling it out. But D.L. Hughley at one point, his daughter had come to him and said that she was being raped. It was, she was underage by somebody that he knew. And D.L. Hughley, and he's the one that told the story. He said he didn't want to believe it because he liked the guy. And so he didn't do shit about it. And I was like, why the fuck would you go tell people that story? But I also think it's a testament of um, how not serious people, including fathers, take rape, take women. Dio Hughley also has a story I did know about. It's another one that he told that I was like, I mean, I, I get like oversharing. I think maybe sometimes I, I might do that and I might walk the line. But I'm like, bruh, Dio Hughley cheated on his wife and his mistress got pregnant and she had the baby. He did not tell his wife about the mistress or the baby. He and the mistress stopped dating. She went on to be with somebody else. The new somebody else she was with ended up killing the child. D.L. Hughley didn't tell his wife about any of this until after the child was murdered. And it might have not even been like right after it happened. It might have been like a while. So people were saying, D.L. Hughley, you of all people should not have any commentary on what happens in a marriage. You fucked over your daughter. You fucked over the child that you had with this woman who somebody else killed. And then you fucked over your wife by keeping all of this from her until after the child was dead. Fair. You know what I'm about to say. I like to say that there is grace for those that seek it. I would like to think that for D.L. Hughley to be the type of person that did these fucked up things, not that he's accused of, that he's gone and told people that he did. I think for him to be that kind of person then and to be the kind of person that he is now, I think he's trying to do better. And I think he is doing better. Because somebody needed to speak up. Another man especially needed to speak up and call Kanye West out on his bullshit. And be like, you're harassing this woman. Leave this woman alone. Dio Hughley did that. This, he wasn't fucked up about. A lot of men got in his ass about it too. And they were like, why are you speaking on this other man's marriage? Why are you even commenting on this? Because somebody has to. 
Somebody has to. This code of silence that men have, especially about the way that men treat women, is detrimental to women. This bro code is is real similar to like that blue line. Y'all don't like to see it and people hate that comparison, but it's true. No matter how fucked up a man is being, especially when it involves a woman, men will not call it out. And that's a big, 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 big part of why women, women in general, I'm going to speak for all women, but why women in general have a deep distrust of men. I don't know if men realize how deep it is. Ask any woman what she would do if there were no men for 24 hours. Nearly everything she wants to do is related to no longer having to be afraid of men. It's actually really scary, but try it out for yourself and you can see how afraid women are of men, how much women in general, not just black women, women in general. That's not my point. Trevor Noah also called out Kanye West. He went on an unscripted, I want to call it a rant. To call it a rant diminishes what it is, but he spoke up and spoke out about Kanye West in a way that seemed very unplanned. He talked about Kanye West harassing his ex-wife, and he's another one that says many things can be true. You cannot like Kim Kardashian. You can think she seeks publicity. You can also think that her husband is harassing her. And he pointed out that Kim Kardashian is one of the richest women in the world, which makes her one of the most powerful women in the world. And she still can't stop her husband, ex-husband, estranged husband, from harassing her. For Kanye West, people say, oh, it's just online and, you know, saying he's OJ and Nicole, like that's doing too much. He's not a violent person. He's never exhibited signs of violence. Has he not? Because there's minimum two incidences of Kanye like flipping out on paparazzi. He feels crowded. He doesn't want to answer questions. He's annoyed, whatever that is. But he flips out. He's had two lawsuits. One of the flip outs was earlier this year. To our knowledge, he has not flipped out on Kim. Does he have incidences of flipping out? He does. He's clearly not stable right now. I don't mean to imply that anyone with mental health issues could become violent. I'm not speaking about it in general. I'm speaking very specifically about Kanye West and the things that he's doing to Kim Kardashian. If you have half a brain, half an observation skill, you can see it escalating over time. People tend to get um, the idea that if if you are in um, a relationship where there's domestic violence, intimate partner violence is uh, the name people like to use for it now. It's very well known and very well documented that the most dangerous time in the relationship, even for a woman who's already been abused, is when she tries to leave. That's the time that men tend to go fucking crazy and kill their partners is when they actually try to get out of the relationship. What Kanye's doing is clear-cut emotional abuse. I don't really understand how at this point anybody can deny what it is, but it's like she tried to leave. She seemed to move on into a new situation, and then that's when he fucking loses it and starts, you know, publicly harassing her. And I've read somewhere, someone had pointed out the cycle. It's like he harasses her, he kind of apologizes for it, he victimizes himself and he starts talking about alienated black fathers, alienated black men. She's making the wrong choice with the children. Then he says something about God and religion. And then he says crazy shit about her again. And the cycle starts again. And I was like, Jesus. So I bring him up today because his new relevancy is the Grammys are coming up. The Grammys decided to pull his performance, which is notable because uh, Mr. West is nominated for five Grammys this year. Four of them are for his work on his 10th studio album, Donda. 
The Grammy Awards take place on April 3rd. Uh, Not so coincidentally, they're being hosted by Trevor Noah. So Connie, of course, is pissed that he's been uh, pulled from the Grammys. He posted a video on Twitter of a Grammy in the toilet and him urinating on it. Like a video of him with a stream of urine on a Grammy. I was like, what the fuck? I don't think he's banned from Instagram right now. His Instagram ban lasted for 24 hours. But these are things that he clearly cares about. I mean, he said he didn't care about the Grammy. He urinated on the Grammy. But we all just watched Yeezus where they played that clip of the Grammys where he was like, you know, people were wondering what I would say if I didn't get a Grammy. And he was like, well, now we'll never know. Like, he really, really wanted a Grammy. Like, Grammys really, really mean a lot to him. If he really didn't give a fuck about the Grammys, then he wouldn't have agreed to perform. I've seen tons of people like rushing to his defense about that. One of them being the game. He wrote this long screed on Instagram comparing Kanye West. He he said something about Colin Kaepernick lynching Kanye West. I'm not going to look it up. I'm not quoting the game. I refuse. It was it was all this like, you know, woe is me. Attack the black man. Can't use your voice. Silence the black man. And I'm like, y'all, 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 y'all. Kanye been on some nigga shit and got censored by other black people, no less. The Grammys have uh, three co-presidents. One of them is a black woman. The other is a black man. And the other one, he is of melanin. I'm not sure where he's from. Cyprus? I don't know what the people of Cyprus are called. I mean, they're brown people. Um, He's not white is what I'm trying to say. The executive producer of the Grammys, I want to say it's Jesse Collins. Black. Black. Host of the Grammys. Black. This this isn't like the man sitting on high trying to like, you know, stop the black man from like living his life. And this isn't black people who are oppressing other black people. This is black people with common sense who are sick of this man's shit. He's been terrorizing his ex-wife, her boyfriend, and the rest of us for months now with his online antics. And the Grammys flat out said because of the way he's been using his social media, that's the reason that he's not allowed to perform at the Grammys. Maybe because something he cares about is being taken away from him. He's been deplatformed on Instagram. I mean, it was 24 hours, but still. He was taken off the Grammys. That's a type of deplatforming. Maybe he'll get it now. Maybe he'll see that like his actions have real consequence. Because all this time, people have just been like, oh, Kanye, oh, Kanye, you're making so much of it. He's just hurt. He'll move on. He'll get over it. Will he? I, for one, am glad he got shut the fuck down. Like, he was doing the goddamn most. He needed a goddamn break. We needed a break from him. Shit. But hopefully, maybe getting kicked out the Grammys will be the catalyst for him to get the help that he so very and clearly needs. Best of luck to him. I wish him and Kim the best. I'm not the biggest Kim fan. Oh, which I guess, you know, is it worth mentioning Kim talking about people need to go to work? What she said wasn't entirely wrong. It's just like there's certain people that can give that message and certain people that can't. I think Kim probably has done like a significant amount of work. I mean, whether it's what people consider respectable work or not, but she she does work. I mean, there's plenty of people with sex tapes who don't rise to, you know, become like a billionaire who can command like over a million dollars for an Instagram post. I mean, a lot of people don't think that that's like real work. I assure you, as someone who takes a bunch of photos or who used to, I don't have time to do it anymore. It actually does take up a significant amount of time. It is work, but it's not like, you know, working in a factory or some shit. It's not like working retail or fast food or anything in customer service. Anytime you got to be forward facing with the public, my heart breaks and extends to you. 
It's not that. It's just the way she was so goddamn condescending about it. I really can't believe she destroyed all the goodwill that people had sent her way over her being harassed by Kanye with that, like, get your ass up and fucking work. Really? Do you think people are not doing that? And furthermore, do you think that that's all it takes to become essentially you? There's definitely other people that could have said that and it would have been received much better. Like if Tyler Perry had told people to get their ass up and work, people would be like, okay, yeah, because Tyler used to live in a a car. Tyler was homeless at one point. He worked himself up from he worked himself up from homelessness to that big ass compound that he calls home and then owning his own sprawling studio lot. Like Tyler Perry could tell people to, you know, get the fuck up and work. And people would be like, well, yeah, okay, Tyler. Like, you know, we know that you put in the work. Oprah could say that and people would receive it. Steve Harvey could say it and people would receive it. Steve Harvey also lived in his car. Oprah was a teenage mom who got passed around to different members of her family. You could accept that from Oprah. You could accept that from Tyler Perry. But it's like, I mean, Kim, okay, you've done work, right? But it's kind of like a started from like the upper middle and now you're here. Nobody wants to hear that shit. Nobody wants to hear your hard knock story because most people aren't starting from the upper middle. And it was just really like off-putting to hear someone who really doesn't know struggle. Talk to struggling people about how they need to get up off their ass. Because here's the truth of the matter, right? Just like the people that I just mentioned, like a Steve Harvey or Oprah Winfrey or Tyler Perry, who, you know, had rock bottomed out at one life and then, you know, built these big, beautiful, wealthy lives for themselves like it's possible it's definitely possible we've seen people do it but it's also incredibly rare if you start poking around and looking at the people who are multi-millionaires billionaires even the vast majority of them came into the world with a leg up in life this idea that you've got to like you know fucking work just do the work buckle down and like do the work right like if you're getting paid minimum wage at some job You can do the work. You can put in 40 hours. You can put in 60 hours. You're not going to boss up off of that. You just literally, the wage ain't enough to do so. Like you can work yourself to the bone. You're not going to be a millionaire off just doing the fucking work. It takes a little more than that. That's what people were responding to. It's like this woman who doesn't get it, who's never been on the grind for it. And not to say that she hasn't been on a grind. Like has she ever worked minimum wage as an adult? A teenage job for spending money? Because your parents are trying to teach you responsibility, but you know, all the lights are on, all the bills are paid, all of your needs are met, and most of your wants, it's not the same. And it's also the timing of her saying it too. It's like you're in the middle of what people keep referring to as the Great Recession, and they keep saying, like, nobody wants to work anymore. Nobody wants to work anymore. It's like, no, nobody wants to work for crap wages anymore. Nobody even wants to work for good wages and be treated like shit. It sounded like she was feeding into that narrative. It's mostly right wing talking about like people don't want to work anymore. People don't want to work anymore. That's what she sounded like. That's why so many people bristled at that comment. It's not just the idea of like, you know, work, 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 because honestly, that's the American way. It's very, very difficult to break out of it. We're all ingrained with it. Until you spent significant time outside of America, you don't understand the degree of hypercapitalism that exists in all of us. Like it's part of the culture. That's another reason why it was offensive. It's like we all, as Americans, the vast majority of us believe in hard fucking work. The vast majority of us believe in a fucking grind. Like I was talking to British Bray the other day 
And he was telling me that he has 45 days of vacation. And I said, 45 days of vacation? Like, is, like you rolled it over? And he was like, roll over? What does that mean? Like you rolled it over from the year before, like you've been banking your vacation days. The concept doesn't exist. Like you either use it or you don't, but they force you to like take vacation. Like it's, it's considered offensive to your job if you don't use your vacation days. I was like, what? I was like, I'm sorry to be clear. Like you get 45 days of vacation every fucking year. And he was like, no, I get 55 days of vacation every year. I sold some of my days to a coworker. You what? You can sell your vacation days. So he sold 10 of his vacation days to a coworker and now he has 45 vacation days. And I was like, so wait, like, do you have to like take them every month? Like, cause you clearly can't take like 45 in a row. He was like, no, because then you could only take one vacation. He was like, I try to do like at least like, you know, two to three weeks when I go. And I was like, I'm sorry, on multiple occasions throughout the year, you take two to three weeks of vacation. And he was like, yeah. Like, it's the most normal fucking thing in the world. And I was like, you don't understand. Like, as an American? And he was like, yeah, you guys get, like, what, like, 14? Yeah, shit. I think at my last job, I had 14 days of vacation. I haven't worked a 9 to 5 in 10 years, but that's part of the reason why. You know, I love a good six-week getaway. Imagine me going back into somebody's 9 to 5 being, like, asking somebody if I can take days for my vacation. I was like, oh, no. I've been in the wild too long. I can't be, I can't go back to domestic life. 55 vacation days. I was watching Emily in Paris and one of the plot lines, Emily keeps texting people on weekends or while they're on vacation and people are like, yo, this is illegal. Stop. And she was like, what's illegal? Like, I can't talk to you on the weekends. And they were like, not about work. No, like it's illegal. What? That type of shit sounding crazy is because we're hyper capitalist Americans. We can't even fathom. What do you mean? I'm not going to text somebody after six o'clock and I have a work question. What do you mean I'm going to wake up in the morning and the first thing I'm going to do is grab my phone before I get out of bed and check my work emails? That's not normal. I mean, to us it is. To everybody else? No. All right, friends. That's our first podcast back. If you have not picked up your merchandise for Ratchet and Respectable now that we're back, please do so. We have hoodies and we have tees and we have crewnecks and we have coffee mugs. This woman left a review the other day. She was walking somewhere in D.C. and she had on her logo t-shirt and somebody yelled at her out the car. She's another listener of the podcast and I just thought that was like freaking adorable. So if you would like to bond with your fellow Ratchet and Respectable listeners, buy a t-shirt, walk around in it, see who else is listening. They will come up to you. Again, if you haven't picked up your merch, please do so at DemetriaLLucas.com and I'm going to go edit this. So it'll be up by noon on Tuesday and we'll talk again on Friday. There's a bunch of stuff coming up this week. Hopefully I will be able to share. All right. I missed you. Can you tell? Okay. Bye.